Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Every week we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand in hand with baking for those we love. This week we're reviewing our coconut tapioca pudding with mango and lime, and I'll be spilling the beans on where you can find tapioca pearls in London. We'll also introduce a unique orange polenta cake with a special bonus. It's naturally gluten-free. Finally, we'll be throwing a dash of spice into our sweet talk and talking about some of our favorite savory treats. So put the kettle on and get ready for some sweet talk. Hello, Stefan. Hello, my friend. How do you feel about lime-filled sandwich cookies? Sounds great. I'm totally on board with that. (laughs) Yes, have you made some? I have. I am a member of the Food 52 Baking Club on Facebook. This is a really fun group. Every month, they pick a cookbook and bake their way through it. And I love it because you get to see home bakers like us and like our listeners experimenting with recipes. And you can see if everyone's flopping at something or everyone's having great success. And I thought I would try out the lime sable cookies because it's citrus month and I wanted to celebrate. Totally. I have not made a filled sandwich cookie before. I've made a whoopie pie, which I think would fall into this category. But this, the the sable dough is more like a shortbread dough. Okay. And then the filling was a white chocolate buttercream It was only after making the cookie that I remembered I don't really like white chocolate. Uh, I bet it was really pretty, though. It was beautiful. Uh, You know, the flecks of the lime zest in the buttercream and in the sable were gorgeous. I posted on the Facebook group that I was looking for suggestions for something else to put in the middle. And I loved it when the author herself of The Fearless Baker, Erin McDonald, replied and said, you know, next time just leave out the white chocolate and make a vanilla buttercream to go in the middle of those cookies. And I think that's awesome. what I'll do next time. Yeah. Oh, how nice of her to reach out to you too. That's rad. I know. I love that. So those are a big success. I think if people like filled sandwich cookies, I encourage you to look for The Fearless Baker by Erin McDonald and the Lime Sable Sandwich cookies. Well, that, you know, that reminds me of those muffins I've been making for a while now that listener Amy had originally posted. This was several months ago when I was looking for ways to use up my wheat germ. And the thing that's great is that, which they do that perfectly. It's a wonderful, I'm really, really using that up. Thank you again, Amy. But it is a raspberry muffin, but it has lime zest. And I think that is such an interesting twist. You might expect, you see lemon zest in so many, so many things, but Mm -hmm. not often the lime. And lime and raspberry is really good. So when you were talking about those lime cookies, that really made me me think of those muffins too. Mm -hmm. Well, we are doing citrus month and one citrus we're we're sadly not going to tackle is grapefruit. And I ran across Andrea Loyal listeners will know that we love our Waitrose. We love our Waitrose Weekly. We love our Waitrose Food Magazine on this podcast. My favorite London grocery store where I only get to shop perhaps once a year. 
But I love that you already have your favorite London grocery store. So you're just all ready. You don't need to mess around when you come. You it's just important, go straight I to think. the waitress. Yes, yes. But I wanted to give a little airtime to a waitress competitor. And that is a delivery company called Ocado. And Ocado actually uh, draws from all of the grocery stores in London. And so you, it's nice. You can kind of mix and match if you have a favorite at oh, one store okay. and then at another. And they don't have a physical location. They're only um, home delivery. But they have a competing kind of food magazine. And this month, they had a gluten-dairy-free grapefruit, almond, and lemon thyme cake. So it's Ooh. a drizzle cake, but made with the the ruby red grapefruits. And it looks re- – it's first of all, it's beautiful because those ruby red grapefruits have that, that pinkish flesh. And then it has a, the almond and the thyme with the green. It's really beautiful. And my husband would especially like this one because he loves grapefruit. So that's just another uh, alternative this month and wanted to give a shout-out to the humble grapefruit too. I love that. I was watching one of those food competition shows. I don't remember which one it was. And they gave the contestants a fruit and an herb to cook with. Oh, no, it wasn't a fruit. It was a color and an herb. Um, So, for example, you would get purple and thyme or yellow and sage. And it made me realize there's some herbs that absolutely sound good for baking to me. And there's some that just immediately make me say, ugh. And two of those. One was parsley, and the other was cilantro. And I love both parsley and cilantro, but I just don't think of either one of those in baking. So I was pleased to see that the um, contestant, a young man who got parsley, actually ended up being the winner. And it reminded me that, you know, if you put enough sugar (laughs) in something, you you can use the color of the herb, but not have the flavor be overwhelming. That's really interesting. I have a rhubarb crisp that I've made for several years, and it has basil in it. And you would not think – you cannot tell that it's basil. It's called mm-hmm. – I think the title of it is Rhubarb Surprise Crisp. And everyone's like, what's mm. the surprise? And I'm like, there's basil in here. That's the surprise. Like, you didn't know yeah. that, did you? You just thought it was really lovely. So I think herbs can be an underrated way to add a really subtle but unique flavor to a lot of baked goods. I agree. And I think going back to your original thought, grapefruits are underrated in the citrus baking world. I know one pie that caught my eye this year was the grapefruit ginger snap pie. And I just think those two combinations are wonderful. I also saw recently someone making lemon bars, but they substituted grapefruit instead. And they were just beautiful. They were kind of a pinky color instead of that yellow color. And uh, I think they, you know, the woman who baked them said they were delicious. And I think I might want to try that. I often forget about the grapefruit and I love grapefruit. Yeah, absolutely. So don't forget about that during our citrus month. That's I'll right. Post that one. I'll post that one too up on our Pinterest. Uh, definitely, if not Facebook, if if everyone wants to uh, bake along with with that grapefruit. Oh, great! Thank cake. you. Yeah, yeah. Well, moving on, let's review the coconut tapioca pudding with mango and lime. This comes from Kay Chun over at Food and Wine. Stefan, how did this turn out for you? Well, so Andrea, my first hurdle was finding tapioca in this town. Oh so. no. I know. I felt so bad when you told me. It's just not one of those things we even considered. You know, some of the ingredients that are a little more difficult, we're like, no, you know, can't do that, can't do that. We already know them, but haven't had yet to track down tapioca. I had a few panicky texts with you, and then I went 
to an Asian food market that's not far from our home and literally row upon row of tapioca. Uh, Lots of tapioca people will be familiar with, like a bubble tea, and it has those big tapioca balls. So it was every size of tapioca. It was really this fun and entertaining episode um of shopping because it was it was all colors there was this i think did i send you the picture of the pink and pink and green tapioca i was like you oh did. i want to get this <laughs> you did now so was that your first trip to that asian food store no but i had not gone down the tapioca aisle before right. i had not you know i needed soy sauce or i don't know was something else and right. and had not even had not even seen that aisle yeah. so all kinds of colors all kinds of shapes. I found pearl tapioca, which is what is called for here, and I have to say, it it just worked a charm. It was it was wonderful. Yes. So so this um, my review here at the top is is uh, maybe a little childish, but sums it up for me. Yum yum yummy. It was <laughs> it was such a delicious and creamy tapioca. So you're cooking that with your uh, whole milk. I used, it calls for a vanilla bean. I used my vanilla uh, bean paste, which is just a little bit of a cheat, and a little bit of salt there. You bring that to a simmer, and you're cooking the tapioca. You whisk in a can of coconut milk. Coconut milk in this country is just superior. It's another one of those products I can't get enough of. It Even the low-fat kind has just that thick wedge of the coconut, the solid coconut, which is so, so good. Um, Then you're whisking that, and then you're also making a simple custard with your egg yolks. There's relatively little sugar in this recipe, only three tablespoons. I know. I was pleased to see that. As this was cooking, Andrea, I just think that warm and milky vanilla, I think that's probably what heaven smells like. It's just... I just was so happy making this recipe. And so then you you have your tapioca. It will uh, it does firm up as you're cooking. It firms up even further as it cools to room temperature. And then you make a mango and lime puree. You layer that in uh, your serving dish. I pop mine back in the fridge, but Kay does have the nice tip to bring that out about 30 minutes before you want to serve it so it's not icy cold. It's mm-hmm. It's got the, the edge taken off. These were fantastic. I would make the coconut pudding by itself. My daughter loved coconut flavor, but she liked that puree almost more than the pudding Mm, itself. Yeah. The only one in my household who didn't really care for it was my son, and I think it just wasn't sweet enough for him, for better or for worse. Okay. Interesting. He did did like to eat some of the hot pudding uh, leftovers out of the bowl, uh, but I would – oh, I loved it, Andrea. I really, really loved it. How about you? We had equal success and love for this, or I should say my husband and I did. Um, But my daughter, similar to your son, she did not like it. But for her, it was a texture thing. And I did use the small pearl tapioca. After you told me you had found some really fun tapiocas in your Asian store, I went to my Asian store and bought some. I haven't used them yet, but I can't wait to try them. I bought a bag of black tapioca pearls, and they're much larger than the the small ones. And then I bought a bag of the pastel multicolored because they just look like so much fun. Yes, I loved them. I can't wait to try that. But both my husband and I really liked it. I agree with you. I could have eaten the... Uh, tapioca pudding just by itself, but I did love the addition of the mango puree. 
speaking of cheating, I cheated a little bit and I did end up using some frozen mango that I had in my freezer, uh, which I threw into the blender to make the puree part. And the main reason I did this, I had bought two mangoes. They were both perfectly ripe. And I tell you what, I am the world's worst mango cutter. Those things are hard to cut. I want to know if any of our listeners out there, ha- I, I am horrible at it too. And I always, always feel like I'm leaving so much fruit behind. That's what I felt like as well. I know I have a friend who has showed me how to do it before, and he's been successful with it. I looked it up on YouTube, and they talked about how you stand the mango upright, and you basically slice the cheeks off on the side, and then you score those cheeks and kind of turn it inside out so it looks almost like a little hedgehog. And, And then, you know, of course, in the YouTube video, they just slice those right off and we're left with a skin. But mine, there were still just a ton of flesh on the skin. And then that middle piece that had the pit in it, I just felt like there was so much flesh there and I just really couldn't get it off. So um, I was so happy I had that bag of frozen mango in my freezer. Well, and you know, one thing that I buy here all the time, which I love and have come to depend on is a, it's just um, a container of sliced mango chunks. I buy that. I buy several of those multiple times a week mm-hmm. and my my son especially loves mango and that's what I used too so they probably have a similar product if you can save yourself some time and you think the quality is good I say go for it yeah yeah that's that's what I'm going to do in the future I do have to say the one little quibble I had with this recipe is I thought the proportions were way off so the recipe author says the yield is that it serves four and I put mine in I would call it a highball glass or a whiskey glass. So I had a little layer of the mango on the bottom, and then I had the pudding and then a dollop of the mango on top. And after I had made those four, I still had, I want to say, two if not three cups of pudding left, whereas I had no mango left. Oh, wow. Well, I – made I had a similar issue with quantity I think it maybe would have made more about six Mm -hmm. I made mine in margarita glasses now Andrea my husband and I registered for 24 margarita glasses when we got married and we got every single one (laughs) (laughs) I wonder what sort of life you guys thought you were going to be living that is fabulous I sadly, shame on me, I can't even remember, like, whoever gifted that to us very generously, I am so sorry, I don't remember who it was anymore, almost 20 years on, but, you know, maybe it was just going to be one nonstop margarita party at the at the newly married Cones. I mean, Cinco de Mayo at the Cones, for right. sure. <laughs> you are ready. And did you haul all 24 of those to London when you moved? It's so funny. So as my husband's eating this, he's like, did we bring all two dozen margarita glasses? I said, no, I think only one dozen. So, <laughs> Oh, well, sure. I mean, we could probably get by for two years with one dozen. I'm not, not entirely sure that's going to be enough. But oh, how funny. Anyway, but they are also, you know, it is a good reminder that oftentimes if you have a martini glass, if you have a margarita glass, they are really nice for a dessert like this where you want to have a presentation and you want it's layered. It's just it's just a little bit elegant and a little different. So I really liked using those, but it was too much. It was yeah. too much dessert for four. So I would scale it back and or serve more people. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. The 
photo in the recipe, it looked to me like she used the stemless wine glasses. Mm -hmm. And we have those. And I pulled those out first. And I immediately thought to myself, oh, this is going to be a huge serving. And that's when I switched to the highball smaller glass. And it was probably, I would say, a six ounce glass. And that was a perfect size serving for us. So I definitely would make this again. I would eat the pudding warm straight from the bowl if I could. Yes, I would too. I also thought it was lovely chilled and mixed with the mango. And of course, you could substitute any fruit, I think, in this if you didn't want to go with mango. I think it would be really lovely with raspberries or peaches or nectarines. I mean, it's got all sorts of applications here. Yeah, I absolutely agree. This was a winner. It came together really easily and was just so delicious. I I hesitate to mention that I believe they feed tapioca to people who need to, like, bulk up. And so... (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) As I was plowing my way through my margarita glass, I thought, yep, Mm. I'm bulking up. (laughs) Yeah, not not an issue that I am looking to address. Uh, Okay, well, good to know. Go with that smaller uh, serving glass. Let's just go with that. That's right. Yes, bite size. Well, that was from Kay Chun at Food and Wine, and that's a that's a winner in my book. Two thumbs up. Next up is an orange and polenta cake from the great uh, British chef Jamie Oliver, of course. And this is has a lot of of wonderful flavors in addition to orange. It has almond, vanilla, and cardamom, which cardamom we've talked about in past episodes. Andrea is a really popular spice here, not so prevalent in the U.S. So I was excited to see you choose this cake. Tell me about it. Well, I was really excited about this. Now, I we've covered lemons. We've covered limes. I wanted to do something with orange. I hesitated on picking this because I do have to admit that this cake is looking similar to the orange cake that I made back in our challenge week um, where I made the – orange cake from Melissa Fiore from the Italian Baker cookbook. But uh, what I remembered about that is that you didn't have a chance to make that cake because we were challenging each or we were challenging ourselves. And so that was just one that I did. And I really loved it. The other thing I loved about this is that it's naturally gluten-free. So when I say naturally, I mean, it's not that it's using a gluten-free flour or anything like that. It's that it uses ground almonds and coarse polenta. And so for our people who are gluten-free, it's really fun. And I love Jamie Oliver. I don't think we've made any of his recipes yet. And I thought it would just be really fun to try one. Yeah, I'm excited about this too. And we've talked before about how big lemon drizzle cakes here, I'd say a close second is a polenta cake. They seem to be very prevalent when you're in a bakery, when you're out to tea. And maybe it is because it's a gluten-free option. And so that's just a nice, easy thing that's naturally made without without the wheat. And here it has the addition of the the lovely uh, vanilla and then also uh, orange blossom water, which was easy for me to find just in the spice aisle. I'm glad you mentioned that. I was going to tell our listeners who want to bake along with us that the cardamom pods are something they might not normally have in their pantry and the orange blossom water being the other ingredient that might be a bit unusual. That's right. And cardamom pods are, they smell divine. So you crush them. They have kind of have a large outer shell. And then inside is a little black seed, maybe like six or seven little black seeds in each pod. And that's what you want to crush up and use. Not the big, not the big shell. And I'm most excited because this cake falls into my single layer, no icing, which again is about where my cake skills fall. So I have a feeling I'm going to be quite successful. (laughs) 
Remember, we'll have a link to these recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, as well as on our Pinterest and Facebook pages. Well, Andrea, we are talking a lot about sweets, and we were saying, you know, we haven't talked about some savory bakes in a while. Last April, of course, was devoted to breakfast bakes, which was kind of naturally a more savory time. But we wanted to talk about some of our personal favorites, and then also from our Facebook community, which seems to really love some savories as well. We definitely have some savory lovers out there. Let's jump in and start with them. So Karen and Amy talked about Grandma Jen's cheese puffs. Now, did you see the actual typeset recipe that was posted of these cheese puffs? I did, and I think this might be the second time that recipe has made an appearance on the Facebook community because it has this wonderful story about Grandma Jen making it for none other than Vincent Price. Yes, yes. I love that. I can't wait to try these. I didn't try them last time around. One thing I need to figure out, I do believe it says one cup of oleo. Is that shortening? Am I using a cup of shortening instead? Because I don't know what oleo is. I think that's the old-fashioned word for margarine. Oh, so Mm. I could just use butter. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a good one. Amy, what do you do? Tell us. (laughs) (laughs) Both Nair and Lauren mentioned that they like savory scones, and that reminded me of our jalapeno cheddar scones that we reviewed back in episode 24. So delicious. Jocelyn liked herself some cornbread. Did you see that one? (laughs) And Jocelyn said her daughter thought it was a crime against humanity to put corn kernels in cornbread, to which I say, amen, sister. I'm right there with you. No corn kernels, no cream of corn, just just the <laughs> cornmeal for me. Here's a kind of interesting, shameful cornbread secret. You know, I grew up in the South, and I'm sure everyone has their family cornbread recipe. And when I moved to Seattle, I found a small catering company that was in my neighborhood, and she made New Orleans food. So I swung by to meet her and introduce myself and said, hey, if you ever need any help catering one of your New Orleans-style dinners, I'd love to help out. Well, she took me up on my offer. And next Friday night, I was standing in her catering kitchen with my sleeves pulled up to my elbow, holding a potato masher in my hand as I mashed what appeared to be 50 pounds of sweet potatoes to make a sweet potato pie. This is when I quickly discovered that, you know, catering, baking, doing anything on a commercial scale is not for me. (laughs) (laughs) It's totally different. That's true. Yes. Really, really hard work. And you're just working with these volumes that are overwhelming. But I had had her little mini cornbread muffins, and they were so good. And I was so excited for her to give me the recipe. And I was like, oh, she said, I'm going to have you work on the muffins. So I was like, yes, this is paying off. I'm volunteering to do this, but I'm going to get this great recipe. And then she turned around and handed me this industrial-sized box of Jiffy cornbread mix. (laughs) And a container of the Zuby honey and said, add the honey to the cornbread. And, you know, it's heaven. Everyone thinks it's perfect. I I kind of knew that might be where that story was Mm -hmm. going. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, as a New Orleans person, do you agree? Is is New Orleans cornbread very sweet? Um, I think it is. I I wouldn't even call it New Orleans cornbread. I would just call it like Southern cornbread. And I do, I I would run into one of two kinds. I would either run into the sweet kind. I think I ran into that more when I was in places like Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi. And then I would also run into the kind that I think people cook in a cast iron skillet. And then it was often a little more savory. And that's when it would have, as Jocelyn's daughter 
notice the chunks of corn kernels in it, to which I say, no, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see. Lydia was talking about some pumpkin cheese sage muffins. So there we go again with using an herb in your baked goods that you might not normally think of. But I thought that sounded really good. Yes, I think she was going to serve him with some chili, and that sounded divine. Ugh. Speaking of, have you ever heard of that weird thing about serving chili on top of a cinnamon roll? Oh, I have heard that. What is that about? I don't know. I don't understand it. Listeners, if this is something that you have done or you've had, please explain it to me because I don't get it at all. A few of my chili recipes have cinnamon in it, but not that to makes the extent. Sense. Or, you know, you'll see sometimes like chocolate, like almost like a mole. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I can't figure that cinnamon roll thing out. Either. I can't I either. love cinnamon rolls and I love chili. I'm not sure they need to be in the same bowl. I'm, I'm with you there. The last person I would love to call out here is listener Kim, who mentioned her favorite savory pull-apart bread that sounded really good. But what really intrigued me was the dish that she wants to try, and I just can't wait to say this out loud, lamb swirl buns. Well, this kind of sounds like those sausage rolls that we were contemplating a few episodes ago. Yes, that's exactly what it reminded me of. So I'm really intrigued by that. And I thought, how often do you get to say lamb swirl buns? It just sounds really fun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Stefan, what are some of your favorite savory bakes that you like to try or eat? You know, as I was pulling this list together, I realized that quite a few of mine have cornmeal. I love cornbread as well. We have a cornmeal biscuit recipe from Cook's Illustrated several years ago. And I must admit, I rarely make this myself. My husband loves to make this. Mm. And they are that very nice savory biscuit that you can have. We usually have it with barbecue. It's that kind of a a biscuit. It's a nice cross between like a biscuit and a cornbread or cornmeal muffin. And they also, we sometimes use them for strawberry shortcake because they are very good with that too. We also do cornmeal waffles a lot. Mm. That is an old Martha Stewart recipe and that you can tip either way also. Maybe it's something about the cornmeal. I'm not sure. I could see that. That sounds really good. When you were talking about this, mashing up the sweet potatoes, um, I love a sweet potato biscuit from... A magazine that no longer exists, R.I.P. McCall's Magazine. That was one of the oldest magazines for women in America, and it went under in the 2000s. Um, We've been talking, um, of course, last uh, month in our uh, pork pie, or pie month in February, episode 64, we had our English pork pie, and meat pies are such a huge thing here. I also, um, from Taste of Home for many, many years, I made a taco chili pie, which we were just talking about Mm -hmm. chili, and it's chili in a pie crust, and that was really good. And then to get back to Nigella, I realized I had a few things from her, too. She has a recipe called Granny Lawson's Lunch Dish, which is kind of like... So it's um, minced beef and olives and hard-boiled egg and tomato and all of these things you would think... Maybe like a 1950s person would think this is really elegant. Right. And then it's encased in a pastry. That's excellent. I love that one. And I recently, um, Andrea, I think I'm going to talk more about this cookbook in May when we do our Royal Month and our All Things British. Yes. But I've been reading her newest cookbook, which is called At My Table. And she has a waffle that's made with mashed potatoes. And last episode, when I was talking, or in episode 69 last month, we were doing um, the Finland. And I was telling you about the porridge bread. And we right. got off onto a tangent about mashed potato bread. 
And this was mashed potato waffle. So interesting. You know, the other savory thing I've seen people do with waffles, you brought this up, oh gosh, maybe a year ago. And of course, once you brought it up, I started seeing it everywhere. And it was a charcoal waffle. So it was black and it had that activated charcoal in it, which um, I did not grab me, to be honest. But maybe flavor-wise, it's really good. I was just out to lunch with a friend and one passed us by, like on a plate. And it just looks so bizarre. It's huh. I, I, I probably should try it just so I can speak to it more we should. knowledgeably. But Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, okay, put that on the list. On our list. Well, tell me about some of yours, Andrea. I know you love your savory bakes. I do love my savory bakes, but I'm pretty narrow in my specifics. Um, I love a savory scone along with Nair and Lauren. That would probably be my number one thing. So jalapeno scones, cheddar scones, bacon scones, uh, any type of savory scone is something that I absolutely love to have. I love biscuits, and specifically, I love biscuits and gravy. (laughs) Oh, yeah. <laughs> is is that something you see in London at all? Or is that really just a, a U.S. thing? Not that kind of gravy. No, they don't understand um, that kind. No, it's mm. very different. Very mm. different kind of gravy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sad, sad. Is, it, well, is, that called a, is that called a cream gravy? What do you call that kind well, of gravy? Well, I think it depends. I would call it a cream gravy. A lot of times it's a sausage gravy. And it, it can be a white gravy or a red gravy. And I'm sure there's, you know, different geographical areas that would argue which one is the best. But I personally like the white gravy. That's what I typically tend to make. Okay. And I love making my biscuits savory. Again, I'll put herbs in there. I'll put cheese in there. I'll put cayenne in there. Um, I just love a good savory biscuit. Mm. And then my final thing, and I haven't made this, but it's something I serve a lot, and that is I love a savory bagel with savory cream cheese. So, you know, an everything bagel, a sesame seed bagel, an onion bagel, a jalapeno or a cheddar bagel. And then I like my cream cheese to be like a garlic chive or something along those lines. Mm. It's always distressing to me if I am somewhere and someone says, would you like a bagel? And, you know, I, I love bagels. So I immediately say absolutely, thinking it's going to be what I want. And out will come, you know, a cinnamon raisin bagel with <laughs> strawberry cream cheese. And it's so funny that just I, I nothing about that appeals to me. Just in my head, bagels are savory. Interesting. So mm-hmm. even like a poppy seed bagel, you would still want, do you consider that more on the savory side? I would consider poppy seed. I, I don't okay. personally do the poppy seed because it gets stuck in my teeth, but yeah. I, it's not, yeah, but it's not a flavor reason. But again, okay. I would never put like a sweet cream cheese on a bagel. That does not appeal to me at all. No, maybe if I made it homemade, but the stuff mm. that you can buy commercially yeah. also just always has that slightly fakey flavor so I'm not wild about that but maybe if you maybe if you chopped up some strawberries fresh and put that in there it would be a little bit of a different oh that's a good point yeah but I'm with you no I'm like a you know my bagel and locks my cucumber my red onion my capers the whole the whole shebang I love that I've never made a bagel I think Andrea they might have something in common with the soft pretzels that we made in bread month because you soak them don't you boil them first and then bake them off You do. And I'm glad you noticed that because as I was making this list and I was thinking about bagels, I immediately thought, ooh, now that I've made a soft pretzel, I might be able to make a bagel. So let's 
uh, next time we roll around a bread month or breakfast month or what the heck, who knows, we might even have a bagel month. Uh, Let's try and (laughs) tackle that one because I think that would be really good. We could have a whole month about things that are round. So we could do donuts and bagels. (laughs) Oh, there we go. Now, are bagels big in London? Are they just as popular as they are here? Nope, nope. We haven't tracked down any good bagels. They have bagels in the grocery store, but they're those very, very soft, Mm. uh, not not right bagels. Not right. There's a... "Quote unquote New York delicatessen restaurant. That's the best that we've found so far. Uh, but yeah, I, I do miss just a really good wood fired bagel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we're going to have to make one. That's all there is to it. Is your packing list for next time you visit me just growing? I mean, you're just going to have to put aside a whole extra suitcase. It's going to be the <laughs> kosher salt and the chocolate chips." <laughs> I'd rather bring it in my suitcase than have the long discussions with the people at the postal counter about why I am shipping things like tissue and semi-sweet chocolate chips across the Atlantic Ocean. And you guys, Andrea is so sweet. So I had this huge list of like, could you please send me these things? And she's like, well, how much do you want to pay? Because... So we, we like walked back the list to the absolute things that I have a hard time finding Essentials. here. Essentials. My favorite tissues and my favorite chocolate chips can't live without. I know. Thank you again for oh, sending those. Of course. Anytime. Yeah. Thank goodness we don't have any true emergencies because it is really pricey. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was almost a tapioca emergency. Thank, thankfully, we dodged that bullet. So... <laughs> Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get this episode onto the cooling rack. Next week, we'll review Jamie Oliver's orange polenta cake and debut our final citrus dessert, a Sussex Pond pudding with a whole lemon inside. This weird and wonderful classic British pudding has intrigued Stefan for quite a while, and we're delighted to introduce it to you. We'll also step into the gadget garage to chat about the Instant Pot. That's right, the small appliance that's been taking kitchens by storm has finally turned up in Andrea's house. Will it transform her life and cooking as much as everyone says? Or is it just another piece of clutter taking up precious kitchen counter space? Stay tuned and find out next week. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, and on Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram, and Twitter at PreheatedPod. If you like our show, please do tell a friend and consider ranking and reviewing us on Google, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you download our podcast. It really does help us attract and find new listeners when they see what you guys think. Until next time, I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Thanks for listening and sweet dreams. Preheated is written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.